Blackout, A Good Omen, Spot Vic, written by Twilight City Sky and read by Jar. Rome, 41 AD. The shadows had grown long. Their couches were occasionally jostled by passing knees as the restaurant filled up with the evening crowd, but despite a line out the door and beginning to curve around the building, no one bothered the two men in the center of the dining area for their table. Goblets and wine bowls were being gleefully tipped into mouths, and the increasingly raucous cries of patrons were starting to get on Crowley's nerves, if he was being honest. He squinted at a zero fare. What was that? The angel raised his voice. I said, hmm. He washed a handful of honeyed almonds down with a gulp of wine, then wound a pink tongue delicately around the tip of each finger. Crowley sent brief but fervent thanks in the direction of the metalsmith who'd made him these little dark glasses. I said, do you know what forgetting is? You've been under a rock. Humans do it all the time. It's an easy in for me. Cause if it's like goblet or ring left somewhere, they'll bargain to get it back or... He waved a hand. Birthday, anniversary, thing like that. Important event. Gotta make it up, they say. Do anything. Next thing they know, they're signing the contract and Hal gets to put another notch in the bedpost. He frowned blarily. You saying you never forgot anything? Do you know, I don't think I have. Why would I? Don't sleep. Always got my eyes open. All of them. He looked briefly sad. Anyway, Petronius told me he forget part of most nights. Isn't that odd? Angel, most humans forget their nights. Crowley mimed, resting his head on his folded hands. Not like this. He said he can be awake and talking, and the next day not remember what he did or said. You don't say. Someone from your lot possessing him? Excuse me, my lot does not do possessions. Well, demons don't do them like that. We like to go in while they're sleeping. Why bother with awake humans? They've got to do the sinning themselves, you know. It doesn't count if we make them. Mm, I wonder what it is, then. Petronio says it happens when he drinks absinthium. Crowley toyed with a discarded oyster shell. Oh, that. That's the wine. Drink enough and it shuts down the... thing. He twirled a hand next to his ear. Part of the brain that makes... makes... memories. Really? Fascinating. Do you think I could do it? The angel looked eager. Crowley narrowed his eyes. What do you want to forget? Blessed life you lead. It's just an experience, Crowley. Aziraphale said, ignoring the tone. They've got us down here. Up here. Mo 
more or less permanently, and, well, he glanced over with a mischievous smile. When in Rome... Crowley rolled his eyes, but somehow he found himself in a Zeraphield's luxuriously appointed villa twenty minutes later, lounging by the fountain, while the angel set out every wine jug he could get his hands on. What about you? he asked. I know you sleep sometimes. Have you done this? After Yeshua's messy death, Crowley had drunk himself into a four-day stupor. <sniffs> Missing the son's visit to hell, Hestert had to play tour guide in his stead, and he'd been stroppy about it for months. <sniffs> but he hadn't been upright for any of it. He shrugged, tipping his head back against the wine-choked column, and idly turning the stem of a goblet in his fingers. He didn't notice as Ziverfee glance down at that hand, swallow, and look up again, cheeks pink. Never really thought about it, but it shouldn't be hard, right? Humans do it all the time. If we get outside of a couple of those jugs, I'm sure it'll happen. Yes, well... Salutaria, as Iwafir raised his cup. Being an occult being was a double-edged sword sometimes. If you expected a favorite dining establishment to have a table for you, it would. If you expected not to be bothered at dinner, you wouldn't be. And if you expected to experience an episode of alcohol-related amnesia, then you did. Thing was... If you woke up after said episode with your toga half off and your legs tangled up with your hereditary enemy's legs, there was no way to know what had gone on. Aziraphale was snoring. It was rather cute. Cute? Crowley shook his head. Going soft he was. He extracted himself from underneath a sleep-heavy arm, pinned the toga back over his shoulder, picked up his glasses and slunk out into the dawn. His mouth tasted like opimian wine, which made sense, and honeyed almonds, which didn't. Wessex, 537 A.D. Crowley? Crowley was upside down on the baskin rug, feet on the low table where Xerophil had recently spread his maps. He was miraculously drinking a cup of beer without spelling. Back there, when you were doing the whole you seek the black knight but you have found your death bit, very dramatic by the way, why did you pretend not to recognize me? Crowley looked evasive. Mm, well, it was foggy. Could you top me up? We were five feet apart, Aziraphir refilled his cup. I haven't seen you in ages. You could have said hello. Yeah, what if there'd been other demons with me? Crowley said, pushing up on one elbow and swiveling his torso to a degree a human spine wouldn't have allowed, so he could look Aziraphale in the eye. 
You'd never have gone on about us working together if there'd been other demons around. Crowley pointed a finger and managed to aim it at Aziraphale on the second try. That's different. That's just being practical. What if I was in the middle of something I couldn't tell you about? Or what if there's been angels with you? Cause I've got to pretend not to know you. You ought to have done the same thing. Well, well, that's exactly my point, dear. What if we decide to, and I can't believe I'm even entertaining this, practice non-interference and something important slips as a result? We're not supposed to be on speaking terms, and it's not as if either of us can forget. Can't we? Crowley flopped onto his hips and elbows, frowning into his cup like it had the secret to deriving the Pythagorean theorem. Oh, well, I suppose there's that little trick, but I can't think how it applies. Crowley spoke like he was weighing every word. I don't want anyone to get in trouble. Trying to avoid cancelling each other out is one thing. Working together. But if they thought we were together... He was right, of course. That would be another kettle of fish entirely, at least in the eyes of heaven. Aziraphale saw tension seeping into Crowley's limbs and put a hand on his shoulder. The demon's eyes went white and he made a noise that sounded like but he didn't move away. When a tree falls in the forest and there's no one around to hear it, does it make a sound? Come again? It's a thought experiment sort of thing Michael likes to make us work out on the whiteboard during team-building exercises. Crowley made a face. If either of us were to do something our sights didn't like, but we didn't remember, Aziraphale went on thoughtfully, then did we really do it? Course, a tree makes a sound if there's no one to hear it. What a self-absorbed thing to... Crowley's eyes went a little wider. Oh. Aziraphale deliberately picked up his cup and drained it. I don't have anywhere to be tonight. It was a bit damp, and Aziraphale's tunic clung to him in chilly folds when he put it back on. Crowley stirred when he touched the calf sticking out from under the rumpled bearskin rug. I have to be at court. <clears throat> Crowley cracked open one yellow eye. Aziraphale wrung his hands. Well... The mound of bearskin shifted, and Crowley sat up. Listen, I was thinking about the tree. If sounds need ears, then maybe it doesn't. Make one, I mean, if there's no ears around. Yes, that's exactly what I thought. 
A grateful smile spread over Xerophil's face. Good morning, then, Crowley. Xerophil ducked out through the tent flap into the harsh light of dawn. Behind him he heard a mumbled, Morning, Angel. London, 1601. They weren't together. Crowley thought, watching the crowds pouring out of the globe. That was the sort of thing that could get an angel and a demon into real trouble. Much worse than trading favors. The blackouts were just that. Blackouts. Nobody remembered a thing. Neat and tidy that way. And if he sometimes woke up with his doublet off and his nose buried in blonde hair as soften as dandelion fluff, well, so what? It didn't prove anything. Aziraphale was eating grapes again, popping them into his mouth one by one, while his lips made an adorable Cupid's bow. Crowley tried not to stare. How was the play? Absolutely delightful. It was wonderful to see Burbage get the appreciation he deserves. A standing ovation. Isn't everyone mostly standing already? Aziraphale fell into step beside him, ignoring this. I have a few bottles of most interesting wine. It's imported from France and stored in glass with heavy corks because, well, let me show you. Yeah, asking me back to yours. Crowley stopped and looked him in the face. Aziraphale lifted his chin, a hint of defiance in his expression. Yes, I want to say thank you. Don't, Crowley muttered, but he followed Aziraphale to a respectable-looking house on the Strand. The dining room had ornately panelled walls and a huge fireplace. Crowley spotted a familiar suit of armor in a corner and smiled. Now, where did I put that knife? Aziraphale was muttering from the kitchen. When he emerged, he held a glass bottle stoppered with a heavy, bulbous cork in one hand and a kitchen knife in the other. Watch! He pointed the neck of the bottle away from him, made a quick slashing gesture with the dull backside of the blade, and with a pop, the cock was dislodged and flying through the air towards Crowley. He caught it startled and heard a hiss of outrushing air. What is it? he asked, leaning forward as a Xerophile filled a glass. Bubbles clanked to the sides and rushed up to the surface. Effervescent wine. They don't know what causes it, but it's something the vintages from Champagne do after they're shipped here and bottled. They kept losing cocks. It packs a bit of a punch, as they say. I can see that. Crowley tried a sip. It was almost spicy. Bubbles popping in his throat, breakouts in his nose. Aziraphale's eyes were on him. He picked up his own glass and swallowed half of it, throat bobbing, gaze never leaving Crowley's. Three glasses, I think, he murmured. It's strong. Crowley nodded. 
They'd gotten very good at going under simultaneously, like children at the seashore, ducking hand in hand beneath the wife. He didn't know what Aziraphale got out of this part of the arrangement. But whenever Crowley felt upset or spread too thin, or hopeless about hell having anything to threaten humans with that they weren't already doing to themselves, which would make him redundant. And then what? He had no other marketable skills. He'd spend a night with the angel, and it was like medicine. Those occasional hours of mutual unawareness had become a comfort, no matter what went on while they were out. Afterwards, Crowley had always felt a sense of lightness. There was a spring in his step, smiles came more easily, and the world seemed like a friendlier place for a little while. Aziraphale finished his third class and sat it down. Now, he said, leaning towards Crowley. Crowley touched his cheek. He could, it was all right. Neither of them would remember in the morning. Paris, 1793. Crowley certainly wasn't on a miracle budget, if the sumptuousness of his rooms was anything to go by. Aziraphale sniffed. Crowley set out two bottles of champagne and sacked in a chair, setting his dark glasses on the table in front of him. Don't think I'll stay here much longer. Usually when hell sends me accommodation for a job well done, I've got to sleep it off for a month. Yes, the crepes were nice, but the people are losing their heads, rather. Crowley snorted. They looked at each other. After a moment, Josephine got up and found a couple of champagne flutes in a cabinet. With respect to Crowley, he said, All in all, I just as soon forget what happened today. The more unpleasant parts of it, anyway. He put a light emphasis on the word forget, running his fingers up the stem of a glass. Suddenly, Crowley was behind him, crowded close, reaching around to take the flutes from his hands. Aziraphale inhaled shakily, and then the demon was turning back towards the table. He set the glasses down and calmly uncorked one of the bottles. Not sure it works like that, he said as he poured. I suppose it doesn't, Aziraphale said unsteadily, but it would be nice to stop thinking until the morning. Don't do nice. No, of course not. Crowley handed him a full glass. The fingers brushed and they both sighed. I wish. Crowley watched him cautiously. After a moment, Aziraphale shook his head. Never mind. A toast to peace, then. To peace. Crowley drained his flute. Sometimes, when they came back to themselves, Aziraphale's clothes were must or done, though they'd never gone missing entirely. 
That morning, however, he awoke in a familiar double-breasted coat, white silk stockings and champagne-colored satin shoes, and smiled. He lay on top of the covers in Crowley's decadent four-poster. Beside him, Crowley was cocooned in a mound of bedclothes and feather pillows. They'd fallen asleep holding hands. Aziraphale decided it was all right to remember that. Hand-holding, even between an angel and a demon, wasn't a sin. London, 1967 It was ridiculous to miss something you didn't even remember. How could he? Anyway, things with Aziraphale were fine. They exchanged coded notes, traded assignments, met in the park for occasional debriefs, and otherwise stayed out of each other's way, just like always. And if the angel said things like, too fast, that tore at Crowley's heart, at least he had also said, one day. Crowley stared at the tartan thermos on the counter. Oblivion and not the temporary sort that he and Aziraphale used to share from time to time. He understood a little why Aziraphale had jumped immediately to the conclusion of suicide pill all those years ago. Their lives were very long, they'd both seen their share of things they'd rather unsee, and reprieves from consciousness were rare, especially for Aziraphale, who didn't sleep. Maybe the angel had thought Crowley wanted to up the ante and disappear entirely. Maybe he felt that way himself from time to time. If Aziraphale had ever asked Crowley for hellfire, Crowley would have stormed off too. Water under the bridge now, he supposed. The corner of his mouth twitched. Holy water under the bridge. Obviously, they couldn't. There was a knock at the door. Aziraphale was still sporting the unbuttoned collar and cravat that had been so thoroughly distracting in the car. He carried a brown paper bag on one hip. My ties, he said brightly. Crowley blinked. Aziraphale pushed past him and headed for the kitchen. They are all the rage in America, California anyway. Have you got simple syrup? Corner cabinet. He hadn't, but he did now. Go and put the thermos somewhere safe, Aziraphale said softly, but in a tone that broke no argument. Fitzgerald, Aziraphale declared out of nowhere some time later. Crowley tried to look at him, but could only see an ear on the side of his cheek. They were brought back to back on Crowley's bright orange modular sofa, picking at a tray of cute pineapple and sausage rolls. Who? F. Scott Fitzgerald, the author. American, wrote a book about fancy parties. Terrible tragedy, bad end. They'd given up on mixing drinks. Crowley took a swig from the bottle of spiced rum and wiped his mouth with his hand. Gloomy, he said morosely. 
Listen, life's gloomy for them. You know that as well as I do. He said, one should be able to see that things are hopeless and yet be determined to make them otherwise. Anyway, my point is, he talked, you know, about black arts. Crowley stiffened. Do you want to sober up? Aziraphale went on as if he hadn't heard him. He said, he said that they can put a person in danger. Reckless behavior, getting into fights, doing things they shouldn't. Crowley. He groped behind him for Crowley's hand, and when he spoke again, his voice was thick. Crowley, please. What was he? Oh, reckless behavior. Could be a real problem, now that Crowley had a thermos full of leather material locked in his safe. Angel, I don't ever black out when I'm not with you. Don't worry. No, you will keep me somewhere safe. Sometimes, when they were on the edge of the cliff, ready to slide down into blissful unawareness for a few hours, flashes of their nights together would come back to him. Crowley turned and took a fail into his arms, tucking his head against his shoulder, because of course he'd done it before. It felt like the most natural thing in the world. London, 2019 They'd each had a glass of champagne at lunch, but their full bellies nullified the effect. Crowley perched on the back of the sofa, fiddling with his phone, while Aziraphale pretended to look at first edition boys' adventure books, and wondered how to bring it up. His eyes fell on an old steamer trunk which held maps of Wessex, all still in perfect condition because he expected them to be. And suddenly the solution was there, as if God herself had dropped it into his lap. Crowley, do you know what a hope chest is? Crowley put his phone away. A what? Hope chest, bottom drawer, trousseau. Young women used to store things in them. Linens, clothing, china, items of that nature. When they were courting, he paused. Not to be touched until marriage. What about them? Crowley's expression was watchful, cautious. He'd have to spell it out. Too bad it had been a nice metaphor. You told me once that alcohol can shut down the part of the human brain that makes memories, leading to an alcohol-induced amnesia, a blackout. But, my dear, I think there's something you forgot to mention. What's that? We are not human. Crowley closed his eyes. Then he began to speak in a rush, words tripping over one another. Angel, I didn't peek, I swear. Hell drops assignments into my mind sometimes. Even if I'd wanted to, I wouldn't have. 
Too risky. Didn't want anybody getting in trouble. Crowley, Aziraphale nearly laughed. I know you wouldn't have. I didn't either. It wasn't safe. He sat down on the sofa, patting the cushion next to him. Crowley descended stiffly, back ramrod straight. He wouldn't meet Aziraphale's eyes. I didn't forget, Aziraphale told him. It's all still there. Locked away. Crowley said nothing. Aziraphale took his hand. We don't have to open it, if you'd rather not. For a moment, Crowley didn't answer. Then, slowly, his fingers curled around Aziraphale's. With his other hand, he reached up and took off his glasses. He nodded. Rome, 41 AD. Aziraphale was a good kisser. Crowley wondered what else Petronius, that randy bastard, had been telling him. His body was warm and soft, and he smelled like honeysuckle. Crowley's mind was awash with pleasure. He wanted to stay in this moment forever and felt a pang of regret as Aziraphale lowered him down onto the couch they were sharing. When you were a demon, sometimes you had to do things you didn't want to. But Christ, this felt like one of the worst. He took one last opportunity to save Aziraphale's velvet tongue brushing his, the silky, intoxicating caress of his lips, then he put both hands on his chest and murmured, between biting kisses, Stop! Angel, stop! Part of him hoped Aziraphale wouldn't hear, or wouldn't eat him, but the angel drew back immediately. What's wrong? Crowley smiled sadly. We can't. We're both drunk. Will you still want this, when we sober up? Aziraphale's hazy eyes blinked. It's not... it's just... Well, these are rules, dear boy. Yeah. What if he forgets? It's not right. Aziraphale let out a shuddering, frustrated sigh. I was afraid you were going to say that. He wiggled a bit until he was next to Crowley rather than above him, layering their legs. They both looked up at the ceiling until certain parts of their anatomy softened and they could breathe easily again. After a while, Aziraphale chuckled. Friends with the only demon who's got an intractable moral code. What rotten luck! You take that back. Ruin my reputation, you will. If you like, I'll tell everyone you tempted me into the most debauched and libidinous acts. Crowley sighed. Can't tell anyone. Not ever. I know. Zirafir pulled him close and wrapped an arm around him. Crowley's toga had slid down to his waist and it was nice to feel the angel's skin against the sound.
He could go ahead and think that. He just forget it in the morning. I feel very strange, Aziraphale said, voice starting to slur. Like my eyelids are being forced close. Iron waits on them. You're falling asleep. Will you stay? Crowley nuzzled his hair. Sure. Wessex, 537 AD. The damn gets into absolutely everything, Zerophy complained, hiccuping. I know the best way to get warm. Crowley tried to tap the side of his nose and hit it on the second try. Morgan Le Fay told me, or what you do is you get on a first naked with someone else who's already naked. Why do you need to be naked? Let me show you. Crowley unlaced his tunic, then stripped it off, along with his linen undershirt. Then he put his hands on the hem of Aziraphale's tunic, raised his eyebrows inquiringly, and, when Aziraphale nodded, pulled it over his head. The demon was all hot muscle and knobs of bone, shoulders, hips, sternum. But he was warm. Aziraphale sighed and put his arms around him. Better than a roaring fire, my dear. Crowley nodded towards the bearskin. Let's get wrapped up. Supposed to snow tonight. Aziraphale pouted. You did say naked. Not sure that's a good idea. There was a stiff line of something else, neither muscle nor bone, prodding Aziraphale's belly. The angel sucked a breath and pushed against it, and Crowley's mouth fell open on a sigh, and there was a moment when he thought... But then Crowley turned his face, brushing his cheek with closed lips in a not-quite-kiss. He shook his head, though the hands holding a Aziraphale clutched him tight, fingers digging into his skin. Ah, I suppose you're right. When they curled up under the rug like two spoons, Aziraphale pressed once against Crowley, letting him fear that he was no less affected. Crowley made a rusty hinge sort of noise, but didn't turn around. Their hands wound together against Crowley's chest, and Aziraphale was eventually lulled to sleep by the feel of Crowley's heartbeat, too rapid and clearly nervous, but steady in a way that filled his own chest with warmth far beyond the heat of skin on skin. London, 1601. Did you cheat on that toying course? They were leaning on the armchair by the fireplace. Aziraphale's head was pillowed, as best as it could be, on Crowley's shoulder, his bare back against Crowley's bare stomach. 
Crony had him with one arm wrapped firmly around his chest, stroking his hair with his free hand. Demons are supposed to cheat on coin tosses. What kind of a demon would I be if I went around leaving things like that to chance? Well, I never, and I stole cattle for you. Aziraphale wiggled his shoulders, and Crowley smiled into the back of his neck. Sort of. It caused them to be stolen anyway. How can I make it up to you? You could kiss me. Aziraphale sounded wistful. Crowley put two fingers under the angel's chin. Aziraphale turned in his arms, and Crowley kissed him on the mouth, chased, like the brush of a leaf. Don't look so disappointed, he said to Aziraphale's crestfallen expression. Things could change someday. I wish I could remember these night. I'd press them between pages like flowers and carry the book with me always. Someday, Crowley repeated like it was a charm. Paris, 1793 It was a nice outfit, Wazirafir said sadly. Crowley waved a hand, and he was dressed as he'd been that morning, right down to the ruffled stockings. It was. Aziraphale smiled and rolled towards him on the bed. I shouldn't wear it outside. You ought to take it off of me again. The face Crowley made turned Aziraphale's good mood to ashes. Please stop asking. One of these nights, I'll say yes, and then where will we be? Crowley. At first it was, oh, to heaven with it. It was nice. Nobody touches a demon, you know. Don't have any friends if you're a demon. Thought, well, once every few years we can hold each other, and nobody has to be the wiser, not even us. But I didn't think it'd be so hard. I didn't think I'd... that I'd... It sounded close to tears. Aziraphale brushed the hair off his forehead. He'd taken down the ridiculous-looking curls. Don't say it, please. Crowley nodded unhappily. We shouldn't do this again. Crowley nodded again. This time a tear did escape, rolling over the bridge of his nose and on the other cheek. Aziraphale took his hand. London, 1967 They didn't go to bed together, not even to sleep. Both of them knew what would happen if they did. Instead, they held each other on Crowley's sofa. Crowley thought Aziraphale might be crying into his chest, but he was doing it so silently it was difficult to tell. Well, if these moments of fugu were of their deepest secrets... Don't know why you need to hear it again, but I was never going to off myself. 
I got in trouble over Paris and didn't want a repeat performance. That's all. How does it end, then? If you use it on another demon, they'll destroy you anyway. How could Crowley tell him it was hope? That he didn't so much believe twenty ounces of holy water would save him from anything the forces of hell decided he had coming, but that it would break the cycle one way or the other. Maybe it would be over immediately afterwards, but if he was lucky he could steal a few minutes first to show Aziraphale what he'd been holding back. If he could, it would all have been worth it. He sighed. You told me once you wanted to keep the memory of these nights. I want to believe someday we won't have to hide any more. Put our memories up on the walls instead of pressing flowers. Aziraphale drew back just enough to rest their foreheads together and squeezed his hands. I'd like that. London, 2019 Crowley blinked one of his rare, slow blinks. Nothing happened. Aziraphale had taken his hand in both of his and was squeezing so hard he thought he must be leaving bruising finger marks, but Crowley wasn't complaining. I wouldn't say that. But we didn't. I thought... So did I. They looked at each other. All these years, I tried to think how to tell you... But I already did, didn't I? We both did. Perhaps a hundred nights, all in all. A handful of stolen time, buried beneath an ocean of immortal consciousness. They'd hidden it from everyone, even themselves, because otherwise it would have risen up like the Kraken herself and capsized them. Love written in each touch of skin on bare skin, every caress, every embrace where they tangled their limbs in bed, intimate and chaste, until Aziraphale barely knew where he stopped and Crowley began. Each time Aziraphale said, Kiss me, he was telling Crowley, I love you. Crowley's I love you was in the gentle rebuffs, in every plea to wait. Aziraphale realized two things at the same time. They hit him in the chest like arrows, and he almost staggered backwards. The first was the fact that Crowley was an optimist. It was the fundamental difference between them. He'd always believed they might be able to love each other freely someday. Put our memories up on the walls instead of present flowers. The second realization was that Sunday was today. Crowley's eyes were very wide. He looked like he was working out what to say, trying words in his head that almost reached his lips. He also looked scared out of his wits. Aziraphale touched his cheek where the snake mark lay, just a ghosting of fingertips. 
and the demon startled so hard he knocked a stack of books off the side table. Crowley, it's all right. A rueful smile pulled at the edge of Crowley's lips. Thought I'd done all these impressive things. Showed you a good time, you know. Gotten the performance anxiety out of my system. So you did want to? Zebafield's hands fluttered. God, he was frightened too. I thought about it all the time. Crowley's face was naked with honesty, pleading. I thought about you. I... Shit. He blinked up at the ceiling. Love you. Whatever we do with that is fine. But yes, I fucking want to. Present tense. Oseophia grinned. The feeling was mutual, he said softly. Obviously. Crowley hardly remembered their first kiss back in Rome. It had been something they drifted into. At some point, Crowley had hooked his thigh over Zeraphir's, and Zeraphir began to run light fingers up and down Crowley's forearm. They'd both been breathing quickly, and then Zeraphir had leaned forward and tilted his head the tiniest bit, and Crowley met him halfway. Lips parted, grabbing at handfuls of his toga to haul him closer. They'd both be completely off their trolleys, of course, giggling when Aziraphale fell against Crowley's chest, kisses wet and untidy. Crowley saw galaxies wheeling behind his lids when he closed his eyes. There'd been a few other kisses. Crowley wasn't made of stone, but the barely there brush of lips they'd shared in 1601 was the last of them. Four hundred years, and change was long enough for everything to feel new again. Crowley was determined to make it count. He kissed Aziraphale's forehead. Tell me why you stopped, Aziraphale whispered, I saw it The first time. Knew you'd feel guilty. After, you hadn't planned to fall onto that couch with me, Crowley said, the slight pause after fall making Aziraphale look up, I soft. And you like plants. He kissed the angel's cheek. I knew you were right, but... I couldn't stop asking. I'm sorry, Crowley. I wasn't free to say what I felt. I didn't know myself then, at least not enough to put it into words. Other cheek, malingering brush of lips. No, now. When I felt it, Aziraphale laughed, face lit up with joy. I cannot fix on the hour or the spot, or the look, or the words which led the foundation. It is too long ago. I was in the middle before I knew that I had begun. Austin, really? Crowley raised an eyebrow. Aha, so you do read? 
Aziraphale's triumphant expression turned, after a moment, into something more tender. He nudged Crowley's nose with his own. You kept me from flying apart, Crowley. I never would have had your strength. I love you, and I couldn't see why we shouldn't snatch any moment of happiness granted to us. But succumbing would have undone me, I think. If I knew the desires of your heart matched mine, and knew I could have you, I couldn't have hidden it for long, even beneath the shelter of a blackout. Crowley thought about a white wing, stretched over his head, keeping the rain off. Part of him had made up its mind that day. I knew, I know, but Angel, I wanted to, he said again. If I'd felt less, I would have. Aziraphale had a way of smiling that made Crowley's chest constrict with happiness. Show me. Crowley took his face in both hands and kissed him softly on the mouth, the barely there contact both achingly familiar and astoundingly, staggeringly new. The angel's lips were warm against his, and then his mouth was open and wet, and they dragged each other closer on a whispered yes. Crowley didn't know who'd said it, but it didn't matter. The answer was yes, and no one was pissed, and they didn't have to hide anymore. No more carefully separate seats, or clandestine park benches, or secret rendezvous. No more of amnesia's plausible deniability. The Zeraphale was warm in his arms again, clutching at him hard enough to bruise, and this time he didn't have to stop. Memory was a funny thing. Angels didn't forget, of course, but some things recorded differently. Looking back on that afternoon, which somehow stretched through the evening and long into the night, Aziraphi remembered heat. Desire tripping down from his chest and pouring, heavy and liquid, into his belly. He remembered Crowley's steady golden eyes, held open determinedly, even when he had to close his own. Later, Crowley said he hadn't wanted to miss a single moment. They kissed for a long time, just kissing, sharing breath, shy hands patting one another's sides and cheeks and hair. Time stretched out, snapped back when Crowley's breath caught, hence trembling on the buttons of Aziraphale's waistcoat. I don't know what to do, he whispered. It had been easy when they knew they could forget. There was weight to their decisions now. What if it all went wrong? Aziraphale gasped, half aroused and half panicked, but then he looked into Crowley's earnest face and came back to himself. They protected each other for centuries from doing the wrong thing. Aziraphale during their waking hours, 
and Crowley while they, for lack of a better word, slept. Nothing was going to change that. He arched up into the familiar hardness and warmth of Crowley's body. I don't know what to do first, he said, and Crowley smiled. Want a mouth on me, Crowley said at one point, so they did that. Don't stop, Aziraphale cried, low, as Crowley's clever fingers circled and pinched his nipples. Touch me there, Crowley murmured, lips parting, forehead creasing in ecstasy. Want you inside me, Aziraphale moaned. When they were finally rocking together, bare skin on bare skin, limbs once more tangled so tightly they scarcely knew where one ended and the other began, it was like coming home. Coming home, but better. Because Aziraphale got to watch Crowley's face at the finish, hear his groans and then his cries, hold him while he shuddered and shook, and finally let go, at last, at last. Being an occult being was a double-edged sword. Immortality was certainly nothing to sneeze at, but it came with so many rules and regulations that Crowley had often wondered if it was worth it. A human span of years would be richer, he thought, if he could just spend it with a zero fear. But sometimes things happened in ways he didn't expect. Every morning when he'd awakened next to a zero fear, mind blank, he'd secretly, shamefully, assumed they'd spent the night getting up to what humans generally got up to in bed. Who could have guessed that for a hundred nights they'd simply held each other? That he just stroked the angel's hair, whispered for nonsense, and waited for the day they didn't have to forget. That morning Crowley awoke with his clothes off and his legs tangled up with his hereditary enemies, and remembered. He smiled. Aziraphale was snoring. It was still rather cute. The end.